There's a lot of great movies that have won the Academy Award and a lot of great movies that haven't. You just do the best you can. Clint Eastwood. He's kind of crazy. She's a little insane. Keeping energy really messes with his brain. One is divorced. The other's husband is dead. That's why they're so both messed up in the head. It's a Silver Linings Playcast. Oh, yeah. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Silver Linings Playcast, the only podcast that I am aware of that is devoted completely to discussing the movie Silver Linings Playbook. I'm your host, Jamie Ward, and I'm here with a very a special guest. He is our first live guest on the Silver Linings Playcast. He is one of the writers of an upcoming TV show that uh, we have produced and, and uh, are looking forward to, to making and selling uh, in the near future. Um, I'm saying that. I'm underselling us. We have sold it to the production company. We are waiting for them to produce it. We're the writers. <laughs> uh, without further ado, he is a comedian. That's how I met him. He is a very good friend. Uh, he moved from Georgia, lives in Arizona now, and a world-renowned drone pilot. Please welcome Nick Cassano. Hey. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Absolutely. I was I was really contemplating whether or not to pretend not to like hear any of what you just said. And just be silent for <laughs> at least like 10 minutes just to make you think that there was technical difficulties. This is the third podcast that I have run. Uh, the first two were by myself. So it would, I would have just uh, figured that was, that was my sad life and stuff. Uh, just kept going. Yeah. Yeah. So, dude, I am used to being alone. Why, how do you think this whole podcast started? Right? Yeah, that's, that's fair. If I had more friends, right, I wouldn't need a pot. The fact that I, I could finally get you, one of my few friends on here, uh, <laughs> uh, is great. So uh, you recently got to rewatch Silver Linings Playbook. Uh, do, you, do you have any overall thoughts before we sort of get into our topic of the week? Yeah, every time I think about Silver Linings Playbook, I always remember it as a super funny movie. And it is, but it takes a while to get to it being very funny. It's, it's one of those movies where it starts out kind of uh, manic at first, and there's a lot of, like, pretty serious drama whenever you realize, mm -hmm. you know. It, it's similar to um, when I was a kid and would watch What About Bob and think about, oh, look at that funny man and all those funny things he does. And then when I became an adult, realized, oh, this is a man with severe mental issues. Absolutely, and yeah. And that's kind of the same where, like, I keep forgetting Pat's mental issues in the beginning of Silver Lang's playbook and the family dynamic and him you know enraged and waking his parents up in the morning and then the more and more you kind of see oh everyone's kind of messed up mentally as you continue to learn the family dynamic and all the friends and everything like that that pat is you know with and no one's particularly mentally uh um healthy yeah in I, this movie. I, I have the same thing because i i love it so much and i i, I think people always think that i know everything about it uh, because I love it, but I have one of those memories where it's it's like I remember loving it, so I will recommend it to people and tell them uh, what I think it feels like based off of my already loving the thing, but realizing it's it's way darker. So like if they don't make it through the first ten minutes or something, uh, they think that I'm crazy for having recommended this as a total um, thing. No, absolutely. That's it's been uh, a really hard go trying to get uh, uh, my girlfriend Laura Lee to 
watch it because of that very issue because I would sell it as a you know a, a fun comedy romp and uh, within the first 10 minutes of just triggering <laughs> scene after scene it's just like okay maybe not but uh, I was able to get her to see um, uh, a lot of the movie through uh, Jennifer Lawrence's appearance uh, as soon as she comes into play the movie kind of takes off a, a completely different dynamic which does add a comedic element in the darkness mm -hmm. and I think that that's where a lot of people latch on to because it, it's so odd because I also forget that Jennifer Lawrence doesn't even enter until the first like 15 to 20 minutes of the movie yeah and then from there it's such a different dynamic it's it's so much more fun with her in it and I think it's such a great comedy too um and I'm speaking to you as like a uh, knowledge of like on the, from the comedy side of us having done stand-up comedy and sort of understanding some theory behind comedy what's interesting i think is jennifer lawrence plays her, her character i mean they all play them very straight they're not going for laughs uh but you're right that her introduction it's funny the words actually sort of ups some of the darkness because because she's introducing now a, a dead husband and medications which is like way more extreme than the problems that have been presented so far and yet that's when the movie actually starts to get funny I guess. yeah uh no, I totally agree. It was one of those things where it seems like they they push the darkness to a level where the reaction is to laugh or turn it off. Mm -hmm. And but they hit that moment just at the at the point where most people would be walking out of the theater. Yeah. So so yeah, the timing by David o. Russell for that is is really good. It, like what you just said, it kind of reminds me of um how people see Bob Odenkirk, mm -hmm. where Bob Odenkirk would always play sketch comedy like he was you know doing an Arthur Miller play or something. Yeah, and that's you know that level that they, they the seriousness in which they do these really you know messed up questions like when Pat's just like what happened to Tommy immediately as soon as uh, she walks in. Yeah, and it yeah it it just has that whole you know whole dynamic where it kind of forces your hand to either yeah to to laugh or cut bait. I think because so, so many of my favorite comedians, um, I think so many of the greats too, they really had. I love all kinds. Too. I love the goofy guys, musical guys, uh, Mitch Hedberg's an absurdist, but um, you know some of my favorites uh, like Christopher Titus, uh, Bill Burr, and then the classics Carlin Pryor. You know, like you, you love them all. They're it's funny if you take if you take out the laugh track and you listen to Carlin, it sounds like preaching almost. You know, he's cadence wise, he's not going for the laugh. He's speaking truths, and yet he's hilarious. You know, um, especially later Carlin. Because, mm -hmm. like, yeah, like, I mean, don't get me wrong, like, Carlin, yeah, talking about the evolution of comedy, Carlin from, you know... He does start off goofy, yeah, yeah. I, <laughs> yeah, like, with I, I played early weather, one. and... The, yeah. I played but then, Class like, Clown for Buddy, and, and it was, like, he didn't recognize him in the first half of the album, but, uh, <laughs> yeah. No, nah, Carlin, and, and, but that's the beauty of Carlin, it's the beauty of those kind of, like, comedians or shows that, like, grow as you grow. Like you latch on whenever you're in that state of just, you know, thinking to yourself, you know, oh, you know, hippy dippy. That's so funny. The weatherman is high. You know, that's hilarious. And then later it's like, here are the words you can't say on TV. And you're just like, yeah, you can't say those words, even though he's making great points as to why you should be able to say all those words. And then later, just like how the planet doesn't care that you're polluting it because it will destroy you first. <laughs> and just like, yeah, I'm an adult. I understand that kind of a thing. So Carlin, you know, I think like this is a weird tirade, but it kind of uh, makes me think of like why most people hate Adam Sandler <laughs> because Adam Sandler's done the opposite where he stayed at like the, le you know, if you didn't age past the first time you watched uh, Billy Madison, 
yeah. then Adam Sandler would be everyone's favorite actor. But because everyone does, but there's always a new crop of like you know, twelve to thirteen year old boys starting to watch you know like just go with it or or fifty first dates or something. That's interesting. That's that's a really great point. I think you're so right. That sort of because I know, I know people that I think fall in our generation. Like I'm I'm like the older end of the millennial spectrum, but uh, in there, um, you're a little a couple years younger than I am. But I think I thought you were twenty seven. Oh yeah, yeah, that's right, that's right. Ah, well, almost, what did you think I'm I was? Almost, I'm almost ten years older than you. Oh, okay. Oh, oh no. Oh. Yeah, well, I don't like good. the math on that. Well, you look you look good for your age or something. Thank you. Especially Thanks. on podcast, dude. Like the. Yeah, that's uh, uh, yeah. My my school is, my college. You know, the one that I paid all my student loans to have told me I have a face <laughs> for a podcast. Yeah. yeah, but but you're right. It's like because because. Our... I love how you said I, you met me through comedy. I just did one of the most hack joke premises ever like that that line i'm like i felt shrill as soon as i like just oh why would i say that it's that's rec- that is now recorded on the internet my first podcast appearance and i used one of those hack jokes oh dude in the just history of podcasting don't wor- don't worry about it um you know you can just you put that line anywhere uh my ride is here um yeah you know poker I, hardly, yeah hardly uh take take yeah. my podcast please <laughs> please uh, this is if I had any listener, they're gone now. Yeah, that airplane bathroom's awful small, ain't it? Oh man, this I'm guy so, knows what I'm talking about. Dude, my arms are tired from the uh, previous podcast that I, <laughs> I just recorded. Um, oh man, no, you. So you raised an interesting question that I want to ask you now, and you might not have the answer, but think about it, because uh, I'm trying to think of mine, and I don't have the answer off the top of my head. But is there a comedian that you feel? Uh, and it doesn't have to be your favorite, but you feel like has aged with you. Like when you got into comedy, uh, did anybody w- was were they sort of hitting the scene or starting the career? And you feel like your understanding of comedy, your taste in comedy, has sort of progressed as their career has. I'm sort of curious of that based on your Carlin remarks. Huh. I would say that um, you know the case could be made for Louis C.K. Uh, up until you know his mm-hmm. most recent uh, public demise. <laughs> Um, but, uh, you know, from, from his initial, like, uh, I'm trying to think it was, it was the especially did before chewed up, um, that he released that was very, he released a very like well done, but very formulaic, um, comedy that was just kind of random, more absurdist thoughts that he had been having. Um, Is the one with a peach joke with a, uh, live in Houston. No, Shameless maybe. I think Shameless was the okay. one. Yeah, that, it, could be. it was the one where he talked about like having a like a uh, a shirt that matched a, like a guy's shirt, and he pointed it out, and the guy you know okay. thought yeah. he was queer for making the reference, and he realized he wasn't wearing the shirt when he made the reference. Oh yeah, okay. So, I'm re- yeah, I'm, like I'm known, I, there's a lot of a lot of like jokes that really didn't go into a full arc or a full chunk. Like he did in Chewed Up, and Chewed Up was a lot more like him releasing tension about, like his kids and his wife, and a lot more like, you know, personal matters instead of this guy just being a great funny guy. Now he's telling us about his life using that skill to do so. Yeah. And then it was so odd because after that he really blew up after the, um, uh, the everything is uh everything's wonderful but everything everyone's miserable bit when mm-hmm. he did that on conan 
for his um the film special release that he did, his third special, and you could you could see that he was kind of like maturing his post divorce at that point. Then he did Live at the Beacon, where he, he, you could tell he'd been watching a lot of Cosby, uh, for good or for ill. Okay. <laughs> but because yeah. of, like his his tonality, the way he would come, he would, the way he would deliver his set had a very Cosby quality to his voice. And then uh, then there was Oh My God and uh, what twenty nineteen mm-hmm. no uh, Live at the Comedy Store and then twenty nineteen. So yeah. each one of them kind of showed a, a progression as far as you're kind of with you know, this guy talking about from, you know, being in a horrible marriage and having to raise kids and then post-divorce and having to raise kids, then success in comedy, then, you know, what, you know, then his opinions on, like, global matters, like abortion and, and you know, and darker matters as it goes, exploring kind of both sides. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, he kind of had that evolution. I think Bill Burr is similar in that regard where... He would be. He's evolved more as a storyteller mm-hmm. instead of being as antagonistic against a certain person or a certain type of idea. He will now really delve deep into the antagonism and his own personal demons with it. So Burr's another one. That's I agree. Sort of, he, he somebody, as you were talking, he was the one that I was sort of thinking of. Uh, I think they're similar too. That like I'm not saying that I comedically as a comedian I'm anywhere near the progression. Uh, either those guys are, but I like it, we definitely remember seeing early Bill Burr specials, early Louis C.K. specials, and we sort of, you know, in our young adulthood, we got to watch this evolution and learn more about comedy and refine our sense of comedy, taste in comedy, uh, right along with these guys. Absolutely. So I, I would say I would be uh, remiss if I didn't mention, of course, Chappelle, because Dave Chappelle, oh, yeah. especially from like. Killing Him Softly, which is still funny to this day, as funny as it was when it first came out, but in more recent specials, delving into a lot of really social and timely issues, mm-hmm. um, you know, but with that same spark and that same ability to make people laugh, like Chappelle is, yeah. what are the I only would reason? say, yeah. the greatest comic alive right that's now. Why the, that's what I was about to say is the only reason I think that that name wouldn't have uh, jumped to my mind as fast as the other guys, because his debut, I think, was so good. Um, not that the other guys weren't, but like he, uh, like I think you could look at his early work and see you could always tell he was destined to be great, and then he even surpassed the expectations we we were expecting from him. You know, when he left comedy and come back, and then you know, like a guy to drop four uh, specials to constantly be relevant to constantly be he's he's excellent. Um, also, this is a little preface that I w- or, or side note that I would not normally do. I just want to say, uh, because this is going on the internet forever, that because because our show has been sold to production but not sold to a network, uh, we are talking very objectively about Louis C.K. Uh, this is not an endorsement of. <laughs> no, I mean, I'm just. You, don't get me wrong. You have your I mean, like, yes, I have. You know. Um, <laughs> Yes. The uh, yeah, I'm no, not gonna go too deep either way. I think this is right. what we have to. Do. This is what you have to do. You have, if we want to be famous in ten years, we have yeah. to put something controversial hidden on the internet from before we were famous, so it can be found later, so we can. That's have That's true, scandal. but I would hate I, just the irony of me like being, you know, 
you know, sympathetic to Louis C.K. coming out 10 years later and ruining our show yeah. <laughs> because of something he did. Yeah. So, so I mean, you know, it's... I, I you know I, I just say that it's it's you know it's it's not the same level of Cosby or Harvey Weinstein or anything like that. It is something to be taken seriously, mm-hmm. um, and uh, there are, you know, it's just it's heartbreaking because Cosby was before my time. Weinstein was not like you know Tarantino or someone who actually made the art. He produced the art, mm-hmm. but uh, Louis, you know, is someone that especially as a, as a young comic and most comics can relate to um, was someone who got me into doing stand-up mm-hmm. for the first time. And, and it was just, it, it's just more heartbreaking than any of the other ones. Um, but understandable what's yeah. going on right now. Well, actually, I, mean, I will say, yeah. and it's, I probably shouldn't say this part, but I'm like, I really want to see the movie he was making before it was canceled. <laughs> Oh, absolutely, man. I mean, it had it had Helen Hunt in it, and I haven't seen Helen Hunt in it forever, and that's more than anything. Like John Malkovich was in it, and I'm just like, oh my gosh, this is black and white, and like there's there's a lot of like little elements to the movie that I'm just like, I'm so curious about what that movie's about, and I'm sure that if it didn't directly deal with a lot of these issues, he would have released it. That's part of the tragedy of canceled projects. And I'm not like, you know, not talking about just um, me as the viewer, not getting to see the content I want. Uh, That's like the smallest issue, but there are other people who are working on these projects like that. um, You know, that that's, that's why it's, it's rough because all those other people that were cast and crew, they didn't do anything well, they, you know, they were, they were doing their, their thing. And that happens every time one of these films is affected. So if anything, uh, this is, this is a referendum from the silver linings Playcast and the writers of a TV show. That's not going to have scandals, uh, nope. shape up guys, shape or men and women, but mostly men, but, uh, you know, I'm being equal. I would like to propose a solution. Yeah. Robert. Okay. Shoot. So any, yes, and this should, could go, like, just work with anyone in, like, similar issues. Where if something is not released or it's been taken down because of someone's um, uh, uh, just sexual harassment or anything, that if we reboot everything, use the you just cover over whoever was the perpetrator um, with a uh, digital version of Tim Blake Nelson. I am in. I am so in on that. In fact, I think you should do that even if you just don't like the performance of somebody in yeah. in a thing. Um, yeah, you should be able to go back on Netflix and watch House of Cards with Tim Blake Nelson as Frank Underwood. Yeah, uh, you know, if you take if you take the original nineteen seventy seven Star Wars and New Hope, the original not director's cut, because um, you know he had the whole thing about like he uh, he was going to have Jabba the Hutt in there. And they didn't have the technology to superimpose the alien over him. Uh, just, mm. dude, how good would Tim Blake Nelson be? Uh, Tim Blake As Nelson the, could could do a nutty professor style Star Wars. Any role, and I would love remake every the whole moment. thing. <laughs> mm. This is okay. This is interesting. I'm gonna. I'm actually. This was not the topic I brought you on to talk about, but there is a very interesting tie-in to Silver Linings Playbook about what we were just talking about. Um, mm. One of the the interesting things the the, there's a lot of sports uh, uh, facts and trivia. Um, sports plays a big role in the film, right? Uh, the Philadelphia Eagles specifically. 
And it's interesting because in the book, the big character that everybody, is, uh, you know, is is fawning over is Hank Basket, um, <laughs> number ten in the book. And so they changed that uh, to Deshaun Jackson in the in the film, which it, you know, clearly they did that. Um, I think you know, just get a more high-profile player. Uh, just and and he doesn't play prominently into it at all. You know, it's just the jersey that Bradley Cooper is wearing, and, and there's yeah, it's like the jersey that Cooper wears, and it's the yeah. psychiatrist is like, yeah, Don, Deshaun Jackson's the man. However, right. uh, yeah, but even news, like, this week, and so you're say, following yeah. too, right? Like it's it was one of those things. Last week when I was asked to be on somebody else's silver lining, uh, um. I'm messing up the net because mine, my podcast, the Playcast, Silver Linings Playbook. My friend who runs a general movie podcast asked me to be the specialist for Silver Linings Playbook one, and I, I was looking at it and I was like, "Man, this is this is such a great film because you know it's sort of untouched by scandals of of that." And then <laughs> then we have this week yep. and <laughs> knock on the door and there you go, you got the Sean Jackson, the Sean Jackson, yeah. Um, for anybody who doesn't know, it's July thirteenth, two thousand twenty. So uh, yeah, he he made some controversial statements uh, in in the news, and so now now when I was looking back, I was like, oh, that um, you know, that's a, a funny little context. It wasn't there. I'm sure there are plenty of people who grew up watching Deshaun Jackson who feel exactly how I felt when I heard the news of Louis C.K. just now. Absolutely. Like that guy wasn't as funny as I thought he was. Uh, yeah, yeah. Deshaun Jackson's first album was terrible. <laughs> yeah. Uh, any so anyway, the 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 real reason I, I wanted to to bring you on here was I wanted to talk because I know you're a big film enthusiast. We have lots of uh, talks about films, and that's why we're trying to get into the industry together. But I wanted to talk about the 85th Academy Awards, which bum, bum, bum. Uh, was was held in 2013 for the 2012 movies. Uh, and Silver Linings Playbook itself was uh, um, it it was nominated for plenty of stuff. It didn't really win a lot. It uh, it won Best Actress Jennifer Lawrence. And when I was when I was initially looking up the the basic statistic of five nominations, one win. Uh, I was my first thought was, oh man, um, it got it got robbed just based off of my favorite movie. And then I, I went back and I looked at the list and I was like, eh, you know, it's it's fair. I I might still be skewed, but I you know, they definitely did not pick bad stuff either. But you're you're familiarized <coughs> yourself with the the list. Um, how do you think they did? How do you think the Academy did with their picks that year? Um, that picks is kind of a wide range of, oh my gosh, that's a great pick, and what were you thinking? Mm -hmm. uh, the, of course, the first thing that most people think of when they think of that particular year, if not um, Jennifer Lawrence and uh, tripping uh, on the way up to accept her Oscar and making everyone fall in love with her in that exact moment. Um, I be... fell in love with her uh, when she asked Bradley Cooper why he had ordered Raisin Bran. Yeah, well, you have a different <laughs> feeling for Raisin Bran than I do. So that's fair. That's okay, a but... very specific thing for you. But um, well, Actually, yeah, let's just... do this by category, and I'll tell everybody sure. that's not remembering. Uh, we cover, we'll, we'll go Best Actor and Best Actress, and the, the nominees for Best Actress, which we're covering now, was uh, Jennifer Lawrence, Silver Linings Playbook, Jessica Chastain, Zero Dark Thirty, Emanuela Riva, uh, Amour. Um, I'm going to butcher this name. I'm sorry. Uh, 
Quivenzen Wallace, Beasts of the Southern Wild, and Naomi Watts, <coughs> Impossible. The Impossible. Right. And Jennifer Lawrence um, won. Jennifer Lawrence so, won. Yep. I would say that that's... that's I can't really say much for the other three besides Jennifer Lawrence and Jessica Chastain because I have not seen a more Beast of the Stone Wild or The Impossible mm-hmm. as of this recording. Um, something I should probably rectify because apparently they were good enough to be in the same league as uh, Jessica Chastain, one of the greatest living actresses we have, and Jennifer Lawrence, whose performance mm-hmm. in Silver Lines Playbook, as we established earlier, made that film into uh, something worth talking about in my opinion not to say that it isn't a really good film without her but she puts it into being an oscar talk in the first place Mm -hmm. and uh would say that this is definitely a a performance that's worthy of an oscar even though chastain and zero dark 30 is is it's hard to contend with that not being a winning performance either so yeah i i agree i think i think jessica chastain is what i um one of the underrated actresses, and that's a, and she's rated like, I, but I just think she doesn't come up in a, in as many conversations that I think I have with, with my friends about films as she probably deserves from her performances she's turned in, uh, in different things. But um, yeah, I I can't comment enough on that because I also looking at this list, haven't seen as many of these movies as I would like to. But uh, let's move over to Best Actor. The, there were, the nominees were Daniel Day-Lewis for Lincoln, who won. Bradley Cooper, Silver Linings Playbook. Hugh Jackman, Les Mis. I'm not going to say the whole name because I can't ever get it right. Uh, Miserable. I always think of the South Park, like the uh, Sur la Table. The <laughs> Les Miserables. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. I'd, I'll never remember that like I should, but... It, I'd, if you are not able, able, le miserable, le. blue, blue, blue. <laughs> uh, Joaquin Phoenix, The Master, and Denzel Washington, Flight. So, did you see any of those movies? These, uh, yeah, I feel really sexist for having seen all of these movies now. Because <laughs> I'm like, uh, I think I just, yeah, the way it worked out uh, for this particular case. But, uh, yeah. All uh, five movies listed are fantastic movies, mm-hmm. worth watching. Um, Les Miserables was one that I saw on like Christmas Day of the day it was released. Uh, it was it was much more emotionally impactful than like any uh, kind of like you know I had not seen it on stage prior. I've seen like stage video of it with I think one of the Jonas Brothers playing a role. So it just, yeah, it did not have the same impact as uh, as Hugh Jackman, who um, just has ju- just the right amount of ham to really bring out like a, a musical mm-hmm. uh, performance like that. Um, uh, I, I thought that that was an excellent movie. Of course, we're talking Silver Lang's Playbook, Bradley Cooper, who I, I feel should have had. I, I mean, like I'm not sure has he won an Oscar for for Best Actor at this point? I don't believe he has. I feel like that's something I should know, and I'm not. I'm blanking. I, th- I feel like he he keeps getting close, but I don't believe he has. I'm looking I, now. I, I want to tell you my thoughts on him. I think, I think he, I definitely consider him like one of the premier actors of our generation. But I also think, I was saying this on the other podcast I was on today. 
which I shouldn't just keep referencing because then I could just play that one. Um, that he might not have had any one role where I'm like, that is one of the greatest performances I've seen on on film. But that he is so consistent. When you see him, you're like, it's it's always going to be very good. Um, which might be sort of the thing that's holding him back from winning the award. That it's like he's always very good. It just hasn't had that one to put him over. I could see that with a very similar aspect to like a Christian Bale, mm-hmm. who you know equally when Christian Bale or Bradley Cooper in a movie, they are going to destroy the role. Yes. They're going to just do an amazing job, and it's hard to um, reward such consistency. Yeah, uh, in that kind of thing. Because I'm looking at uh, nominations that he's had. He was nominated, was, I believe, his first nomination for Best Actor in, for Silver Linings Playbook, this particular uh, award. And then the very next year for Best Supporting Actor for American Hustle, featuring our uh, old friend Louis C.K. <laughs> <laughs> then uh, uh, Best Picture, I guess, for his uh, in production, and as well as Best Actor for American Sniper, which that one was one that, uh, you know, f- through a huge political divide Mm -hmm. um, for the Oscars that year uh, when American Sniper uh, did not win. And in fact, I believe that was the year the artist won, which was uh, um, a very different uh, style movie. Yeah. Then, uh, yeah, then crushed it in 2019 with nominations, not with wins, apparently, for uh, Best Actor. Uh, production for Best Picture and Best Adapted Screenplay for A Star Is Born, mm-hmm. however, being snubbed for nomination for Best Director, and then uh, production for uh, Best Picture for The Joker, oh, or wow. Joker. So he, um, yeah, he's definitely like had several nominations. Only I think three of those were actors, and all three performances were fantastic, especially in A Star Is Born. Yeah. Okay. So, so I, I, I'm kind of feeling like I didn't research my theory of what I just said but you reading that list sort of I've, i would feel more confident in making that argument now too i i think the other thing uh and the argument might be made against that for a star is born um even though there you know that could be a, it's a whole nother uh conversation but i think part of partially like in silver lining's playbook he fit in to such a great cast story and writing that it's one of those things where it's like he really contributed to making the movie very good and then that like maybe hurt himself a little because because the movie wasn't like built around to be like hey this is this amazing thing for you if anything it was David O Russell's to lose I think which he did um, <laughs> yes he did but, <laughs> that year and the following year with yeah. uh, uh, American Hustle because you look at Lincoln Daniel Day Lewis won for Lincoln and right um, which that was kind of a okay so yeah. Daniel Day Lewis is coming off of I think he's at two wins. Prior to this, he uh, for uh, my left foot, and I believe for was it Gangs of New York. I should have probably done research prior to this, but I did not. No, I think so. I'm, so, I'm looking, but uh, but I believe it was for uh, yeah for those two for Gangs of New York, um, and my left foot. Uh, I might be mistaken about Gangs of New York, but I know it was my left foot was one of his previous Oscar nominated. Movies. He won for There Will Be Blood. The, there will be blood, yeah. of course. How did I forget that? Yes, mm-hmm. as Daniel Plainview. So, Bill the Butcher, though, great performance. Yep. Um, worthy of an Oscar. However, uh, yeah, he would be best supporting. What am I thinking? Anyway, 
Daniel Lewis, uh, yeah, third Oscar yeah. win for this particular case, where he is playing one of the one of the most iconic human beings ever lived, with directed by one of the most iconic directors ever lived. Mm-hmm. Reading dialogue by one of the most iconic writers <laughs> ever lived yeah. in Tony Kushner. So it's yeah, there was just kind of a there was no way Daniel Day Lewis was not mm-hmm. bringing home an Oscar for that combination of, of talent. Yeah. Um, so it was just kind of like a like one of those weird like sad moments for anyone else performing because all three of these or all, let me see all four of these performances. Um, Denzel in Flight and Joaquin the Master, mm-hmm. uh, those, in addition to Jackman and Cooper, they could have easily won uh, uh, Best Actor in any other particular year, mm-hmm. but uh, you happen to go against uh, Spielberg's passion project against Abraham Lincoln. Absolutely. So. And it's funny because that's I, I feel like that... Um, yeah, Daniel Day-Lewis, is anytime he shows up, or anytime he used to show up, you always knew you're going to get just an amazing performance. He's going to own every moment of the screen he's on. Um, you look at Lincoln, it's like I remember I, watching it and being like, hey, that's a really good movie. But it's one of those I will never go back and watch Lincoln. Just me personally. I don't know. Maybe somebody else will. Uh, but um, no, that's also a, a, like, yeah, a side, uh, just a weird side note about uh, Lincoln Love. is... Uh, a wonderful performance by uh, Jared Harris as Ulysses S. Grant, which is such a weird... Because, <laughs> I mean, don't get me wrong. Lincoln is beyond stacked with every actor imaginable, just from Tommy Lee Jones to Gale from Breaking Bad. Just like every... <laughs> you know, Joyce Gordon-Levitt like comes in and plays a couple scenes, yeah. David Stratham. Tim Blake Nelson is in it. Um... It's just, it's just a it just a cavalcade of star power supporting Daniel Day Lewis uh-huh. uh, as Lincoln, and um, yeah, I just uh, did not see that ending coming. Though. Kind of a Shyamalan twist. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. I, now I realize this would not work for several reasons, but um, and it it will lead into another topic too. Let's just say I. I'm looking at the Wikipedia for the casting of Lincoln, and it's interesting because it has the character breakdown by different things like the Union Army actors, White House, House of Representatives, Republican Party, uh, Confederate States. And the fewest actors are under Confederate States, but I was just thinking, how great performance-wise would it be to go back and recast Robert E. Lee with Christoph Waltz? I realize that wouldn't work. Oh, like it wouldn't, It wouldn't work, but still, it would be amazing. It'd be quite if you did, if you would have done that, then Christoph Waltz would have won best act, best supporting actor this year. Oh wait, he did. Already. I know that's that's exactly why with he uh, Christoph Waltz, who um, I, I I almost attribute you introducing me because uh, you know you, we were talking about films and that was the first time I really became aware of him. Talking with you when I, I watched uh, Inglorious Bastards for the first time, um, he won best supporting actor this year for uh, Django Unchained. And in the category nominated was Alan Arkin for Argo, uh, Robert De Niro, Silver Linings Playbook, Philip Seymour Hoffman, The Master, and Tommy Lee Jones in Lincoln. And that one, is, this one is one that I, I have a very strong feeling about. Um, I love Christoph Waltz. Mm-hmm. I think Christoph Waltz should normally win Best Supporting Actor every year until someone deems it appropriate to give him the lead role in any movie, which mm-hmm. I will 
pay hard-earned money to see. Um, Christoph Waltz won the year before for Inglourious Bastards, for yep. um, Hans Landa in uh, uh, Tarantino's Inglourious Bastards. This year, winning the second year, second Tarantino role, this time he's a good guy, wins this. Mm -hmm. Fantastic performance. Uh, Christoph Waltz, always great. Normally, any other year, like I said, should win. Um, this is a year, however, that Philip Seymour Hoffman annihilates the screen in The Master as uh, a uh, L. Ron Hubbard-type Scientologist, uh, just cult leader, that only Hoffman can bring that element of, like, you, you simultaneously hate everything about him mm -hmm. and deeply want Joaquin Phoenix to earn his love at the same time. And it's this, this weird dynamic that only someone like Hoffman could bring. And, you know, obviously hindsight's twenty twenty. If we had known we only had a few more years with Hoffman left, maybe things would have been different. Yeah. But, uh, you know, seeing, like, such a, such a great performance go um, uh, uh, unrewarded in that particular mm -hmm. category, especially to someone who while giving a fantastic performance in Django Unchained recently, uh, previously, the last year already has an Oscar for such a performance. Yep. Um, yeah, that's kind of my own personal feeling on uh, that Hoffman should have won for The Master. I feel so bad because um, I haven't seen The Master, but I, I feel very strongly the way you do. I mean, you know, I love Christoph Waltz and that I, I think he... Um, I always love seeing him and, and love for him to win things. And, and I feel bad not having seen The Master, but looking at this list... Uh, I love Seymour Hoffman too. I mean, he he was great. I think he was actually great in a very similar way. He could be the good guy, he could be the bad guy, and he'd play with such care and nuance, um, not overdoing roles, that he could go both ways. And they were always very interesting uh, performances. I think he really was able to get away with a lot of things to make characters sort of... You like characters that maybe you shouldn't have sometimes. Um in, in a way. Uh, Absolutely. So. He was also, he, like you say, you could play the good or the bad. One of the movies that I think that uh, you know, doesn't get talked about enough, probably because it's kind of, like, the movie overall is okay. The mm -hmm. performances in it are fantastic, is um, Charlie Wilson's War, mm -hmm. in which uh, uh, Tom Hanks giving great performance, uh, Julia Roberts, and Philip Seymour Hoffman yep. uh, as a great, just a fun supporting role. Uh, you know, being being that uh, the kind of a quasi best friend while work buddy, yep. Um, but you know, constantly challenging Tom Hanks as the uh, guy who does a good job role, mm -hmm. which Tom Hanks is uh, known to play pretty well. Um, but yeah, Hoffman is uh, is truly missed. Like he, he was just uh, uh, you you don't you're not gonna find a lot of actors like Hoffman um, anymore. Plus. Uh, as a uh, as a uh, overweight guy, he gives hope to overweight guys <laughs> that they can be uh, great actors. Yeah. Oh no, absolutely. <laughs> no, I think that was no. So that's a that's a great assessment of that, and I'm sure I'm sure the other uh, people that played that year were good too. But um... yeah, well, I mean, of course, you have De Niro mm -hmm. doing a, you know, he, he's doing a like a somewhat comedic performance, but he's he, he's zone he's he's dialed in a lot more yeah. for this particular one. It's not like analyze this or something. He, he's he's playing the role pretty um, 
you know, down the middle uh, as far as like his mania with the Eagles and mm-hmm. whatnot. But he's playing it in such a like in such a convincing way that he does not realize at all that anything he's doing is wrong. <laughs> that anything he's doing is just ridiculously stupid. He's just yeah, it's just like it's the Eagles. Why? why, why yeah. yeah, yeah. You got to hold the remote this way. It's. I have to say, I really, I love. Robert De Niro, and and my podcast is really not to just like talk about why this movie should have won everything. I, in fact, part of my love for it is the fact that I will pick it apart and be very honest about the things that, um, you know, are not perfect about it. And I'm not about to talk about him not being perfect. I was just saying that to say, uh, yeah, I, I'm not really sure. Yeah, I, I, you know, I don't think they picked wrong in that because I would have put it between Christoph and, and Philip Seymour Hoffman too. Uh, Robert deserved the. The nomination, but I really enjoy because uh, because we all know the iconic roles that Robert De Niro sort of made his career on, uh, being a gritty uh, gangster guy. But I have I have so enjoyed him when he sort of transitioned into his career to sort of this this latest stage where he is doing comedic roles, being the normal because because he's one of those guys. His voice and his look, you always know it's him. Right, like it's there's no pretending there's a different actor there, uh, but I, I love seeing him as a as a dysfunctional dad, or something. Uh, I love seeing him as like a comical, gangster or something. I, it's, it's very enjoyable for, for me to see him in uh, those other things too. Right. <clears throat> Not no, definitely, yeah. especially with like, uh, with I think what what was the um. Uh, meet the parents being kind of like his first foray into that style of like protective dad. He has kind of one foot in both worlds where he's doing the comedy performance, but also kind of tied to his like hard nosed like gangster persona. Yep. And then, yeah, the more and more a role like this, he's just kind of like a, he's just a caring dad who has a very uh, uh, strong passion for the, for the Eagles and for the, uh, the luck yeah. of, uh, you know the the um, what do you call it? The uh, uh, like the the gambling. Is it gambling? Or? The um, superstition. Okay, yeah. The superstition of sports. Please edit out that fifteen second. <laughs> oh, I'm gonna actually edit it longer. <laughs> okay, uh, just make it. Yeah, double it. <laughs> put it in double. Yeah. It. yeah. I, I funny funny quick story about um. Uh, him. This this is actually it's a total aside. But uh, if anybody doesn't know, yeah, I was in the military and I went uh, overseas and came back and I was having issues for a little while. That's actually how I found entertainment comedy. Um, I've had a lot of healing because of my great friends and I've loved. But anyway, uh, I was going through some tough times coming back from Afghanistan and my mother came to me one day and she was like, "Hey, I just saw part of a movie." That I think uh, it really it really helped me understand some of the things you're going through. It was called the Deer Hunter, and oh. I was like, "Wow, you sat through and you watched the Deer Hunter." And she goes, "Well, actually, I just turned it on, and and I asked you you thought that reminded me, uh, you, it reminded you of me because he goes to Vietnam." And she goes, "Oh, I didn't actually kn- know he goes to Vietnam. I only just saw this part about him uh, getting married to this woman, and they had a really dysfunctional relationship." <laughs> okay, <laughs> I was like, "That's." Oh. Uh- well, I mean, you know, yeah. if you're going to watch The Deer Hunter and take anything away from it, that's probably the safest thing she yeah. could have taken away um, from that particular movie. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, what a uh, what a lot to drop on me here. I didn't know any of that about you. 
No. <laughs> I know, right? I used to love to capture people and make them play Russian roulette uh, with each other. And when they told me I couldn't do that because it was a war crime. Uh, yeah. So I've had a lot yeah. of issues. The pizza hunter. So I guess. Yep. Well, there's there's two things now that we are we're gonna cancel twice. Goodbye, Saturday yeah. Night Live. So. All right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> anyway, okay. Let's uh, let's move on. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw it up to you now. Uh, which do you want to go to? Best original screenplay or best adapted screenplay? So for this one, I'm gonna have to go with original because it's one of the few times I get to say this. A Tarantino Oscar went. Okay, yeah. So, Super happy that Tarantino was awarded. Um, that's the. It's weird. I would say that uh, Django, even though it's a super fun movie, and anyone else's movie would be probably the best thing they ever made for Tarantino with such an iconic catalog of movies. Mm-hmm. I think Django would probably be one of the lesser movies with the Kill Bills mm-hmm. and maybe. Um, uh, the uh, what was it the the grindhouse one that he did with Rodriguez? Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. I didn't see that, but the, like with Death Proof and Death Proof, all the, that's the was one. that the Death, name of the Death actual Proof. film? Or, yeah, Death okay, Proof. Is yeah. One. Thank you for that. But uh, yeah, with Death Proof, um, kind of being one of the lesser ones. But even so, like his lesser ones are still you know like I I could only dream the greatest thing that I could do wouldn't mm-hmm. be probably as good as. Uh, his lesser ones as Django or as Death Proof or either of the Kill Bills. Absolutely, um, yeah. So, but it's still nice to see, you know, uh, Tarantino awarded for writing. I wish he'd get more awards for directing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this past year, this past Oscars, uh, especially Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which I thought was a, a fantastic film for him. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it would just happen to be in a. Uh, just a master class of all sorts of films uh, being made this particular year that they just were incredible. It was what a year. This, this was quite a year. This, um, and it actually inspired a lot by having conversations with you about them. And I think you even recommended the order that I went through. So I saw almost all of them, but this was quite a year. Um, uh, and it's interesting. It's interesting too because I think, like any other year too, Hollywood seems to love to reward films that are about Hollywood. He gave them. He gave them a movie in his style with all his Tarantino charm, a story about them. And maybe right. may, maybe the downfall was that it had like some little bit of of dark truth about them too that was not completely glamorous, but. Uh, that's very possible. Yeah. <laughs> as well as like, I mean, the uh, the historical uh, his historical licensing is uh, super fun um, to be able to use that tension to build until the end mm-hmm. to a, a very satisfying, fun climax. <laughs> which makes me want to think, uh, you know, about like what his Lincoln reboot, how that would end. Oh uh, man. With like maybe Lincoln, you know, with a flamethrower getting Booth and winning presidency for another. You know, Steve Buscemi as uh, John Wilkes Booth. Oh, fantastic! Or, do you have another? Oh, well, I've, actually, and it, there's so many people. That, I think that nails it. Okay, Buscemi just has that look of just like, <laughs> yeah, I could see that guy. I could. As the first time I saw I Buscemi, I was like, I bet you that guy could kill Lincoln. You know what? I would actually. I, uh, you know, I say that jokingly, but I really like that interpretation because I think you just you see pictures and you see John Wilkes Booth always portrayed as like this sort of. Uh, 
I don't know, fans, like, of the times, but a more sophisticated, like, I would kind of like that sort of super psycho, um, Steve Eyes, uh, interpretation. I don't know, it would be interesting. But, uh, oh yeah, just for, for everybody that's not following along, uh, the best screen Which plays is everybody. was, yeah, uh, even me, because I hadn't read through it yet. Um, yeah. The other nominations that year were uh, Amour by Michael Hannick, uh Flight by John Gatinus, Gatinus, uh, Moonrise Kingdom, Wes Anderson and Roman Coppola, and Zero Dark Thirty by Mark Boll. I thought Moonrise Kingdom definitely deserved a, a nomination, because that was a super fun well-written it's it's a wes anderson movie like wes anderson has kind of um found his you know obviously his niche and yep in filmmaking but, you know wes anderson kind of remind, and this is totally gonna throw this thing off the rails but it reminds me of a, a wrestling uh, analogy where um in professional wrestling uh certain characters that just reach a certain level of mm -hmm. uh, popularity or novelty someone like the undertaker um andre the giant back in the day uh, they, you would say that they, they didn't need a championship. They were a draw enough on their own. Yeah. And that's kind of how I feel Wes Anderson is treated a lot, where Wes Anderson is such a unique visionary and, and uh, uh, director and writer yep. that I don't think Hollywood rewards him enough for his contribution to film because he's such enough of a draw on his own that he really doesn't yep. need the extra publicity. I, I would also suggest that he's had, on our generation of filmmakers at least, I think he's had a similar effect that like Mitch Hedberg had on comedy, where you see a lot of, and maybe not at like the Hollywood level, but at least at films that I've seen my friends make and sort of the uh, small level thing, a lot of people going for the Wes Anderson vibe, right? Like it, like he just. He made something fun and you has a unique style voice and then it's like it inspires a generation of filmmakers. They're not trying to copy him on purpose, but they are just heavily influenced. I adore that take. Yeah. I really I've never put those two together, but as you're saying it, I'm like, that makes more sense than uh having spit test still. <laughs> Oh, yeah, for anybody else that needs historical context of what's going on, too, right now. Uh, I was just a stand-up comedian that toured the country performing live, but uh, we are all getting into podcasting now, everybody in America, because we are in the midst of the uh, pandemic of 2020. And much like uh, Jamie mentioned earlier, we met through comedy, and similar to comedy, Jamie does all the work of establishing himself on the road and with podcasting and I just join because I'm friends with Jamie. <laughs> but I'm thrilled because you bring so like so much more knowledge. I like I should go straight to you and get started because you actually know actual things and I just uh, throw out enthusiasm. Um, hopefully combined well, I, we create something. Based off of this performance I seem to to know very I, I, I know about things but I don't know the things themselves so I just throw out and I I think it was this, and then you look up is, and correct me. Which is why you are the perfect guest for the Silver <laughs> Linings Playcast. There's, there's actually a, a permanent co-host spot if you're open to it. Hey, as long as, yeah, I'm definitely, <laughs> yeah, we'll exactly see how well this episode does, because uh, I, I definitely don't want to be the reason you tank on the ratings. Well, all we got to hit is uh, two, two listens, and you will have tied for a record of previous uh, uh, most listened to episode. 
Okay. Well, I, I'm going to pad that out then. So, just to try also, to get my, my spot on the show. Also saying now that there's two of us, if I have one friend that listens and you have one friend that listens, uh, it's, there you go. it's so even easier. It's, it's like a pyramid podcast yeah. where by the end That's, we'll have 100 listeners but 50 people Actually, I just wanted to sign you up to see if you like this because I actually want to sell you a podcasting package where if you just go and get three of your own guests and start your podcast, uh, you can fall under. <laughs> oh, man. I... I love it. I'm down. <laughs> Send me the details. Do you want my credit card information over the podcast? Abs- you know, honestly, this is probably the safest place to say it because uh, nobody <laughs> will hear it. That's uh, what we- I hope. I hope you're wrong. Unless I tell me you, too. And then I hope you're right. <laughs> me too. All right, let's go over to the uh, best adapted screenplay category. And this is where Silver Linings Playbook was actually nominated. Uh, The nominees this year were Silver Linings Playbook by David O. Russell, um, Lincoln by Tony Kushner, uh, let's see, The Life of Pi by David McGee, based on the novel novel by Jan Martell, Beasts of the Southern Wild by Lucy Alibar and Ben Zetlin. And the winner that year was Argo, uh, by Chris Terrio. Yes, Chris Terrio, which is an interesting because I, I'm, I'm re- as I was reading this particular list, I looked up Chris Terrio because I was like, how could someone I've never heard of have beaten Tony Kushner and David O. Russell? Mm-hmm. You know, from adapting, uh, and I was just like, what has this guy done? Apparently, his first screenplay by credit was Argo that won best screenplay. Since then, he has written Batman vs. Superman Dawn of Justice, Justice League, <laughs> The Rise of Skywalker. <laughs> he is He's literally written every most hated movie for every year. <laughs> Publicly. And don't get me wrong, I enjoyed Rise of Skywalker. I'm one of those. Yeah. I enjoyed it fine. Um, Justice League, not so much. Yeah. And Batman vs. Superman, not so much. Um, but... I just think it is oh, wow. uh, funny yeah. that, uh, you know, as much as Argo was a super fun movie, don't believe it should have won Best Picture. We'll get to that when we go into that particular category. Mm-hmm. Um, but a little teaser, Argo didn't deserve it. Um, uh, however, uh, for screenplay, it kind of goes to show, I think, and of course, I'm going to shoot myself in the foot if I ever potentially work with anyone who knows Chris Terrio, which a lot of people at Warner Brothers seem to, um, <laughs> that... Uh, uh, if um, that I cannot, they, I guess if you award someone early on, uh, they uh, become a monster and destroy uh, all art and, and film uh, from there on out. So in the future, Hollywood, please give the award to Tony Kushner like you should have. You know, it's, it's what I always say, and this is not based on anything. This is a completely original quote that I made up and never heard. But, you know, I always tell people it's like you either you either die a hero or uh, you, you go on long enough to see yourself um, write Zack Snyder's Justice League. So. I think that uh, that's a quote from a script written by uh, Chris Terrio. Is it? <laughs> yeah. It could have been. Actually, actually uh, it, that's like the Wish version of the actual uh, script uh, that became the, the Nolan films, I guess, that were the, the good version of the Batman films or <laughs> something. Um, <laughs> I, I am excited for the new Batman film. Yeah. I say that. Like, yeah. Just a complete side note, because, I mean, you know, I, 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 I've come to really appreciate Pattinson more, you know, post uh, 
Breaking Dawn. I see Pattinson as doing a similar, you know, to Christian Bale or McConaughey, mm -hmm. where it's like, oh, you, you kind of, like, you're stuck in, like, that kind of early role of who mm -hmm. you think that they are, and then they start going more indie and really showing off their, um, you know, their their abilities with, a, like, harder material and things that are not, at, you know, for fan service. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, Pattinson's, I've really warmed up to Pattinson, but I mean, Absolutely. you look at this cast with Colin Farrell as the Penguin, Zoe Kravitz as Catwoman, Paul Dano as the Riddler, and possibly a joke. I mean, there's been so many speculative, uh, you know, fan art of uh, like Willem Dafoe as the Joker, mm -hmm. which is an amazing <laughs> idea to me. Um, yeah, it's, so it, it's just yeah, I'm 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 pretty excited for a Batman movie that has nothing to do with uh, uh, Christopher Nolan for once. Yeah, I know, and and I think we're all fans of of Nolan's Batman, but it's definitely, um, I'm always excited when they start it over. Like it's 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 one of those things where it's like you probably don't need to keep starting the whole franchise over from day one over again. And Nolan did a great job just like completely changing it up. Um, but I th I th you know as a as a true Batman fan, I think everybody's brought their a different take and a different read on it there's been lots of different comic interpretations there's lots of different batman timelines so like they all exist you can pick your favorite one uh you know i love the tim burton ones that's sort of what i always think of as batman um oh the burton ones are incredible but the other ones but exist you know they're like, incredible it's... for their own reason mm -hmm. i like i i'm i'm in a weird position where i'm not one of those people who want all movies to turn into marvel movies but i would be kind of okay if every movie was a batman movie yep i i i totally agree Silver Linings Batman. So, <laughs> Why'd you order Raisin Bran? <laughs> to make sure you know it wasn't a date. They're where's, both Batman. <laughs> where's your dead husband? He's, uh... All right. Tommy's dead. Tommy, that's, what happened to Tommy? Tommy's dead. See? Yeah, you should come back to comedy, Nick. You, you, you have the whole thing about like specificity is good. Like you, you made a name. I tried to, I tried to riff off your thing, and I, I killed it. And then you said Tom. You just added the Tommy part, and you're like, yeah. we're back, again. So, uh, I miss comedy more than comedy miss me. Yeah. Well, uh, we all miss comedy, right? That's why we're 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 on the Silver Linings Playcast. <laughs> Silver Linings Playcast. All right. Um. So now I'm I'm curious. I just because. Let's deviate from like the the major categories for a second. You were saying you were interested about talking about this year because of which was it the best animated feature film? Best category? animated feature. What, yes. what do you what are you thinking about that? Let's just I'll tell them uh, the nominees for best animated feature film were Wreck It Ralph, The Pirates, Band of Misfits, Paranorman, Frankenweenie, and Brave. Brave one. Brave One. That is a travesty that sim it, it, it gives me the same feeling of finding out that uh, Green Book won. Where it's it, it just like, I cannot believe of all the... I mean, like, Frank and Weenie, for one thing, I think Tim Burton, um, his initial incarnation of Frank and Weenie before it went CG... And that's part of Tim Burton's arc of really delving into CG a little too hard for such a fantastically practical visual filmmaker to have gone so far into CGI um, to recreate, you know, one of his early films uh, in that CG format. I think that that was kind of a, 
a swing and a miss, but still had a, a lot more creativity behind it than, uh, than Brave. Uh, Paranorman, um, haven't seen it, can't really say, you know, but this is not about Paranorman or the Pirates <laughs> playing a miss. It's, I'm going to tell you what the winner that year was, gold or not, and that was Wreck It Ralph. Okay. Wreck It Ralph. Yeah. Wreck It Ralph to this day, like, you know, Wreck It Ralph has such a, it, it's not like a level of like, let's say Rick and Morty as far as culture goes, but people know Wreck It Ralph. People know, uh, uh, you know, the, the video game culture behind Wreck It Ralph. People know the sequel very well. Well, it's the only um, one on there with a sequel today, right? right? Or does, does Brave have a sequel? Maybe they're working on it. I don't it, think that it, maybe they're working on Braver or I don't know. Brave like, hard, but. But anyway, yeah, I mean, like, if like, there is, I don't know, know of it, I, but Wrecking Ralph has a great that, sequel, yeah. Um. I appreciate the sentiment behind Brave, mm-hmm. and that's part of, you know, where a lot of uh, um, uh, more conservative friends of mine would, you know, and sometimes rightly so, that Hollywood will go for, like, the, the thematic message mm-hmm. over the movie itself sometimes. Yep. And I don't... I can't. I'm not gonna say that's what they did here. I'm just gonna say Wreck-It Ralph rules, and Brave might be good, but it doesn't rule. Well, I, th- I you know, I I agree with you on the level of uh, I think one. I, Wreck-It Ralph is a super fun movie. I mean, I think I could watch it now, and totally enjoy it. Um, you know, it's she has a glitch, but it's like part of who she stuff. is, and it's great. <laughs> I personally love Brave. I do think Disney fans even see it as one of the weaker entries. Um, into things. Uh, nobody ever quotes it. I don't even know the name of the the heroine in it. It's not an icon. Like I love the idea. Her name's not Brave. I Her love name's the not character. Like Joan Brave. Uh, it could be. See, I don't even know. I know I've I seen it. I think it's Joan Brave. Is it Joan Brave? I hope. I hope so. Uh, Joan C. <laughs> Brave. Wait, you know the crazy thing though. It's um. They're both Disney movies, right? No, I'm because Ralph, Wreck-It Ralph is a Disney property, and Brave is so they beat themselves on that. Yeah, well, uh, good for Disney. It's, I'm just saying it's a weird category. I always think. Um, okay, full disclosure mm-hmm. for the honesty of the future. I have never, I have not seen Brave, so it might be better. I'm just saying I don't feel like it's better. I feel like Wreck-It Ralph. I don't. Be I don't think you're wrong. It's, it's really, it's honestly one of those weird scenarios where. Had I heard anything similar mm-hmm. to Wreck-It Ralph about any of the movies uh, listed here, then I could be, you know, persuaded to give them a watch and change my opinion. Mm-hmm. But it's almost like, you know, the first time you have uh, McDonald's French fries, and then there's like a fry competition. Yeah. And you're just like, I have not tried any of those other fries because no one's made an argument as to why they're better than McDonald's French fries. Yeah. <laughs> Well, that's all the time we have on this week's episode of the Silver Lining Playcast. Make sure to join us next week for the second half of this interview with Nick Cassano, where we discuss topics such as the Best Picture Award from the 85th Academy Awards. Uh, We love talking Silver Linings Playbook here with you, and we will see you guys down the road.